We've talked about what the Old Testament said about homosexuality. What does the New Testament say about homosexuality? We're going to talk about that today and more on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Saturday, April the 5th, and I am your host, Toby Logston. And of course, today is a special lesson being brought to you. It's an extension from our lesson on Wednesday on what the Old Testament has to say about homosexuality and uh, why we're doing this study. So we're going to be continuing that today with this lesson. We just didn't have time to bring that to you in our lesson on Wednesday. So if you haven't listened to our lesson from Wednesday, in which we covered passages from the Old Testament that covered homosexuality, uh, go ahead and go back and listen to that first before you listen to this lesson, because this lesson is actually just a continuation of that lesson. So anyway, hope you guys have had a great week. Hope you're enjoying your weekend. It's rainy here in North Carolina, but uh, I know that there's worse weather going on around the country. Uh, so so I hope that uh, you're staying safe, if nothing else. But anyway, let's go ahead and pick up with where we left off. So as I said before in our lesson from Wednesday, you know, I was taught in college that the word homosexual wasn't even found in the Bible, if you remember me saying that. And, you know, this is something that I actually really had to come to terms with because at the time it seemed like a pretty legitimate argument. And let's just, for the sake of argument, assume that the word homosexual never is found in the page of scripture. Well, we could say that it's equally true that the word Trinity never appears in the Bible. That doesn't mean that the Bible says nothing of the Trinity, obviously, and the same applies to the topic of homosexuality as well. Our stance on homosexuality is taught, it's taught actually both implicitly and explicitly, but even if it weren't taught explicitly, and we're going to cover that today, there is a part where uh, where it is taught explicitly, but even if it was never taught explicitly, it is taught implicitly. You know, if I were to say to you, hey, my eyes are getting heavy and I'm feeling low on energy right now, you might say back to me in response, you know, you mean you're tired? Well, yes, the fact that my eyes are heavy and I'm feeling low on energy is telling you implicitly that I am tired. We communicate and learn through implicit language all the time. So even if it was true that the word homosexual isn't found in the Bible, that would be completely irrelevant. The question is whether or not the Bible says anything implicitly about homosexuals or about homosexuality if it isn't taught explicitly. And the answer is yes, it does. It teaches it both implicitly and explicitly. We saw that the Old Testament teaches on it fairly clearly, but we also know that uh, that some people disregard the, the Old Testament entirely, claiming that it's really just a story about a nation that was delivered from slavery. And we counter this by uh, by asserting that, yes, it is the story of Israel as a nation, but it's also a story of how God revealed himself and his will for humanity through the nation of Israel as his chosen ones. And who would have known that better than the Apostle Paul, a first century Pharisee turned Christian who, once he came to realize and accept exactly who Jesus was, you know, the Messiah, he knew 
the message and purpose of the Old Testament as well as anyone. So with that in mind, let's see what Paul might have had to say about homosexuality in his New Testament epistles. As we've covered in our study on Romans, Paul did have something to say to the church in Rome about the subject of homosexuality, starting in chapter 1, verse 22, and going through... Uh, Let's go to verse 28 here. We read, Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, and here's the important part. This is the part that you want to catch. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And that's that's Romans chapter 1 verses 22 through 28. And I honestly don't think that there is a passage in scripture which is more abundantly clear than this passage. But of course, once again, you know, a handful of so-called scholars have tried to find a meaning in this passage other than the one that is absolutely just, you know, it's completely obvious. The The message that's being communicated here is completely obvious. Union Seminary professor Robin Scroggs wrote a book advocating homosexuality. And in this book, he asserted that, quote, what the New Testament was against was the image of homosexuality as pederasty, and primarily here in its more sordid and dehumanizing dimensions, end quote. So for those of you who are maybe unfamiliar with the term pederasty, it is pedophilia. So according to Scroggs, Paul wasn't addressing homosexuality per se, rather he was condemning the act of men having sexual relations with young boys. And honestly, this is a pretty bad argument. It's one of the worst arguments imaginable, which is what is necessary to argue against this passage in scripture since it's stated in such clear and explicit language. You know, Scroggs himself provides a justification for his interpretation. He says that Philo, a first century philosopher, used the same men with men terminology in his writings, and he also made it clear that he was referring to pedophilia, you know, men with boys. However, in response, we have to make note of the fact that Philo explicitly stated in his writings that he was referring to pedophilia. But what we see in the passage at hand here from Romans chapter 1 is that Paul clearly refers to men committing indecent and unnatural acts with other men as a result of having abandoned the natural function of women. And he doesn't make any type of qualification that he's referring to young boys and older men. Uh, Paul makes no mention whatsoever of a specific age here. He refers to men with men and women being with women. And another uh, another person who has you know attacked this passage is Anthony Campolo, a sociologist who claims to be an evangelical Christian, and he has a, a kind of similar argument. He claims that Paul was only referring to abusive homosexuality. He writes, quote, 
Paul, in Romans chapter 1, condemned one kind of homosexual behavior, which is a perversion resulting from an insatiable sexual appetite yielded to the demonic. But there are other causes for homosexual behavior. Then later on he writes, I do not believe Paul was dealing with them, and thus his condemnations do not apply to them. So in other words, uh, only somebody who takes their homosexuality to a certain level, that's what Paul's talking about. However, again, Paul made no distinction between what Campolo would refer to as a, as a healthy uh, homosexual relationship and an unhealthy one. Paul is making a categorical assertion, a categorical truth claim, and to interpret it any other way is hermeneutically unjustifiable. You know, further, if it's true that some homosexual acts are morally justifiable based on this text, then we also have to say that it's sometimes morally justifiable to be all the things listed between verses uh, 29 and 31 of this Romans passage. And you can go ahead and, and look at what all those things are between there. You know, homosexuality is thrown in with those things. This is just obviously a, a, an absurd argument that Campolo is, is giving us here. So, obviously... Homosexuality is condemned in Romans chapter 1. You know, there's no question about that. A second passage where Paul mentions homosexuality, and actually he mentions it explicitly here, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, where we read, quote, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So homosexuals were in there with those things. So if you were to ask a scholar like Scroggs, you know, they would justify this by saying something like, you know, the term translated as homosexuals actually refers to pedophiles. However, while most Greek lexicons do categorize pedophiles under this classification, you can't turn it the other way around. The the Greek term doesn't refer only to pedophiles. Rather, it refers to homosexual acts in general. In fact, there is no lexicon that, that I know of or that I've seen or that I've, that I've read that defines the Greek term that Paul used here to only refer to pedophiles or to acts of pedophilia. So there it is, the one word, homosexual, is found in Scripture. And the only way to claim that it doesn't appear in Scripture is to redefine and retranslate the original Greek word. But, you know, if we can redefine and retranslate language freely and arbitrarily, you know, we're reduced to what you would call a nominalist philosophy. And if nominalism is true, then nothing means anything at all. In fact, if nominalism is true and we're free to redefine language and retranslate language however we wish, then we could interpret Scroggs's uh, statements as being a commentary on golf simply by redefining the words that he uses. So, you know, obviously the word homosexual is found in the New Testament and it's, you know, explicitly taught that homosexuality is a sin. You know, so as we've seen, it's clear that the Bible does indeed address the issue of homosexuality and condemns it every time it's mentioned in scripture. Neither Paul nor Moses nor any other biblical author makes a distinction between a healthy homosexual relationship and an unhealthy homosexual relationship. Categorically speaking, 
in the Bible, homosexuality in general is referred to as a sin. It doesn't become less sinful if both people are consenting adults, nor does it become less sinful if both participants love each other and are committed wholeheartedly to each other. So now, you know, there's no question that homosexuality is defined, um, you know, it's categorized as a sin in Scripture. But the question now becomes, what are we as the church doing about it? Or what should we do about it? There's no place in scripture which forbids us as Christians from reaching out to homosexuals in love. Yet the church in general, by and large, has tried to sweep this issue under the rug and has failed not only to address this issue, but to reach out to the homosexual community as well. And anyone who doesn't think that's true, you need to open your eyes and take a look around You know, the fact is, our churches don't have homosexual recovery groups. Why not? Well, it's as if the church thinks that homosexuality is, you know, the worst possible sin. And there are Christians out there who think it is the worst possible sin. But this is not the case. Gay people aren't the lowest element of society. They are not the lowest element of society. But even if they were, and I don't think they are, but even if they were, that would be all the more reason for us as Christians to be actively reaching out to them. Does God hate homosexuality or does he hate homosexuals? Well, if Jesus' life and ministry are any indication of God's heart, and I honestly believe that they are, then we have to consider the fact that the only people that scripture records Jesus chastising angrily are the people who were so religious and who considered themselves to be so righteous that they wouldn't reach out to the lowest elements of society. The same people who thought less of Jesus for eating and hanging around with tax collectors and prostitutes. But you know, if we are the body of Christ, and we are, if we're the body of Christ, uh, we need to be reaching out to anyone and everyone who needs the grace of God. Our heart should be to prevent everyone, homosexuals included. Our heart should be to prevent everyone from spending eternity apart from God. That's the purpose of this study, to equip us, the church, Christians, the body of Christ, for outreach. So now that we've identified homosexuality as a sin, our next lesson is going to focus on how we can reach out to homosexuals without using the Bible. And you might be asking, well, why without using the Bible? And the answer is because we're going to demonstrate that the natural law, the law that Romans chapter 2 told us is written on the heart of every person, the natural law condemns homosexuality as well. And since practicing homosexuals and the world in general tend to dismiss what the Bible says about homosexuality, what we're going to do is we're going to come up with a way of appealing to the natural law as a way of reaching out to homosexuals. So anyway, you know, I know that this is a short lesson today, but I just wanted to cover these things from the New Testament very briefly and give you guys a little bit of an indication where this study is going. But you know me, I'm not afraid to cover any issues. So, you know, my philosophy of ministry is let's discuss this. Let's do something about it for the sake of Jesus and our love for him because of what he did for us. And don't forget, this coming Wednesday is our Q&A podcast. So if you have any questions, go ahead and send those to me. My email address is clean cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. But God bless you guys. Thank you for listening today. I'll see you guys next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.